your Bible or a phone, some device, you'll be looking at the scripture with us this morning. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We've been working our way through Ecclesiastes um, since early in December. Um, There's just 12 chapters, so we are just about done. If you haven't been with us um, for very much of it, Ecclesiastes um, is an Old Testament book of wisdom. Um, You're probably most familiar with Old Testament wisdom um, and really in the Proverbs. Um, And Ecclesiastes comes in and says, hey, Proverbs kind of tells you what the norm, the expectation of life is if you do certain things. And Ecclesiastes is, is the exception. It comes in and says, hey, yeah, yeah, you can do all those things and this can still happen. And, and so really it's being written as someone who's walking through life, looking and observing what are things like under the sun is the language it uses, right? Apart from God, how would someone look and observe life apart from God and, and make sense of it? And ultimately saying, as, as we go through life, all these things that we can see, they're like smoke, right? Like we see them and we want to grab them, but they're vapor. And when we try to grab them, we can't hold on to them. And the question before us, as we've worked our way through Ecclesiastes, has been one of, one of two things. is either nothing has meaning or everything has meaning, right? As, as we look at life through the lens of Jesus. And so chapter 10 is, is kind of the... It's weird to say the oddball chapter, because um, you're thinking, man, how much more pessimistic could it get? It's the oddball, and that it maybe will feel the most familiar. Um, it looks the most like Proverbs, and it's, it's still observing the world around us, but there's just a little less pessimism and just kind of reality. It's just a little more straightforward, proverbial style. And so we're going to begin um, in verse 17, actually, of chapter 9. And then work our way into chapter 10. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right and a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks out in the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. The anger of the ruler rises against you. Do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. I'll stop there for a moment. Um, right, like it feels like you found someone's journal, and like they're they're given their a good go at poetry, and it's just not real good. Right, like it just kind of feels a little bit crazy, like. Why are we talking about flies, talking about fools? Like, what, what exactly is going on here? And, and here's what, is we end chapter 9 and begin chapter 10, here's the argument that he's making. He's saying, like, wisdom is valuable. It is a valuable commodity. But because we live in a fractured world that is sin-marred and sin-stained, it is vulnerable. And just because it's valuable doesn't mean it will be received as such, right? It has to be not just spoken as wisdom, it has to be received as wisdom. And so, it's a valuable commodity, but it's a vulnerable commodity. And last week in chapter 9, we had that short story at the end of chapter 9, right? Where it says there was a city, and it was going to be overwhelmed by a great and mighty king who laid sieges to it. And then a poor older gentleman brings wisdom... 
and saves the city. And what happens to him? He's forgotten, right? It's like, oh, once the emergency's over, we forget you, right? Rather than recognizing the wisdom in this man and putting him in a rightful place to help lead and rule the city, right? So wisdom is a valuable commodity, but it's a vulnerable commodity as well. The, the strange phrase in verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Is, is reminding us it only takes a little bit of something, a little something bad to run a lot of good. Uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I went to a new restaurant um, and they do juices, right? Like they, they make fresh squeezed juices right there for you. And one of the options they, they had was carrot juice. Never tried carrot juice, so I decided I want to try it. So I get it, I take a big drink, I like it. Um, it's very, it's, it tastes a lot like carrots, right? Shocking. Um, well, all the kids decide they want to try it. And so Carson, you know, puts a straw in, takes a drink, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't like that. Um, Janner takes it and is like, oh, I don't like that. Carmen tries it and she's like, ah, I don't think I want any more. So Jude, right, takes the straw, takes a big drink, and goes, Right back into my cup. Listen, his spit was a small amount of fluid in my cup. But I didn't drink any more of it. Right? Like that, even though it was this huge, big glass of juice that I was looking forward to, it set to the side of the table the rest of the meal, right? Because it's like a little bit ruined the rest. Um, another way to think about this is it's, there's a reason a lot of pastors don't enjoy doing weddings, right? Because you only remember the pastor if he screws up, right? So it's just, listen, you want to be ignored on a wedding day. Because on a day where everyone's attention is heightened and they're expecting and they're looking for this big and glorious moment, if you misstep, everyone remembers that it just kind of gets seared in there. And so what, what, what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is in the right circumstances, it only takes a little bit of foolishness to ruin a whole lot of wisdom. It only takes a little bit of something bad to ruin a whole lot of something good. And, and so then he, he really kind of moves into um, comedy in verse 3. Right When he says, listen, the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone that he's a fool. Now listen, the fool is not actually walking around saying, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. He's simply saying by his behavior, by his actions, and by the way that he talks, it's clear to everyone that dude's a fool. That it's, that it's evident to us. The, the road here is really more um, reminiscent of life. He's saying as he lives his life, it is clear to everyone around him that he is a fool. And so what's happening is what, where he's really going to set up this chapter is he's saying there's two paths. We see this in verse 2. Um, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, a fool's heart to the left. He's saying there are two paths before us. And one is marked by folly, by foolishness, and the other is marked by wisdom. And they're going to lead in very different places. They're going to, go very, they're going to land in different um, locations. The trajectory of them is going to be very, very different. And so he's asking, like, are you on the path of wisdom or are you on the path of folly, of foolishness? Chapter 10 is going to focus on folly, right? It's going to, it's going to look at what 
foolishness can look like to help us discern which path we're on. So we're going to skip down to verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. And so he just, he's going to begin by talking about a fool in his mouth and just kind of his daily life. And although we see the comedy of verse 3 that a fool is like, it's just clear to everyone that he is a fool. Verse 12 kind of takes the humor out of it because we see where the trajectory ends. That the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of the mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness. Saying where it ends is in his destruction. It ends really, really poorly. It's not just one of those things where it's like, oh, the guy's a fool. It is. It ends in consumption and destruction. That it's a, it's a trajectory that is hard to watch. We see in verse 15, it says, The toil, the work of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Basically, he's telling us, listen, he makes things needlessly hard on himself. He works harder than he should, than he should have to, because he's a fool and he doesn't listen to correction. He doesn't take guidance, right? He doesn't know the way to the city, and so he goes longer, right, and works himself harder. Um, The way that you would probably say this in, um, I can't say current, uh, but in in a more of a country, right? The way I would have heard this growing up was, he doesn't know come here from Sikkim, right? Like, he doesn't know what he's doing, He doesn't know what to do, where to go. And listen, being a fool scripturally is not an IQ question. It's not a knowledge issue. It's a state of the heart. It's a a demeanor before the Lord and before authority in your life. It is not an issue of intelligence. Listen, um, it's someone who is unwilling to grow, unwilling to learn, who is so inwardly self-focused that they don't take correction. And they're making things unnecessarily difficult. Listen to the way Proverbs... Listen, if you want to talk about fools, turn to Proverbs. But let me read just a couple of passages to you. This is chapter 17, verse 12. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Saying, listen, if you're not a fool, it is better that you meet a bear that wants to kill you than a fool in his folly because he's going to destroy you. Right? Also, uh, verses uh, 18, chapter 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. How many fools do you know like that? Right? They don't want to know anything. They don't want to learn anything. They don't want to grow. They just want to tell you what they think. And you see, right, the foolishness in them. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 18. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. You all know someone like this, right? Who you, you look at them and you're like, if you don't, how do you not get punched more often? Like really, like the way that you talk about people and to people, why are you not constantly having your face beat in? And scripture would just agree with you and say there are people like that who need to be quiet because their mouth is inviting a beating constantly. 
Then, uh, chapter, if we turn back to chapter 13, verse 16 in Proverbs. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. Right, which is the issue with the fool. Is right, not just that they're a fool. It's that they, like, are kind of proud of it. Or if they're not proud of it, they're so unaware of it that they're just proud of who they are. And so their folly and their foolishness is just on display. Because Proverbs will say, listen, even a fool will, be, will look wise if they shut their mouth. But they live flaunting their foolishness before everyone around them. Which is why it invites a beating. Right? Why it's worse for you because you're going to be destroyed by being around them in their insanity. Listen. Folly, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Right? So this is not a thing where we look, we were all fools at some point in our life. Whether you are or aren't today, we're not pointing fingers, right? But we're saying that folly was bound up in all of us. And it has to be corrected. And it has to be trained out of us. Right? That, that's, it's, it's who we are. And so the reason that we talk to our children, right? We're like, hey, there are consequences for being a fool when you're five. And there are consequences when you're ten. The consequences, though, are exponentially worse as you get older. Exponentially worse. And so you talk to me like that, I'm probably not going to hit you in the mouth. But you decided 18 to keep talking like that, somebody's going to punch you in the mouth. And I don't want that for you. Don't be a fool. Right? And, and, and so we see this, right, not only in children, but in grown-ups. That they have wrong beliefs about authority. About their own sense of entitlement or control. They may have a, a skewed vision of their own skill or knowledge or ability. And so they flaunt their foolishness in their daily life. The author gives us a quick aside. If you go back to verse 8 through 11. Let me read this to us. He says, He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. The one who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits log is endangered by them. If iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. And so we just have these kind of like um, scenes of life, right? Like you're, you're working with rocks, and the rocks hurt you, right? You're working with wood, and you get hurt. Um, you're working with a snake, and you get bit. He's saying, listen, some of this is not foolishness. It's just the natural um, interactions with a fallen, broken world. That just because you're digging something and get hurt, just because you're working on a wall and get hurt, just because you're working with wood and get hurt, doesn't mean that you were necessarily foolish. Now listen, you can make things exponentially more difficult on you if you're a fool in those situations. But what he's reminding them is just because you get hurt at work doesn't mean you're a fool. He's kind of taking the edge off of this a little bit and saying your wisdom isn't going to save you from every situation, right? There, there are accidents and those things are still going to happen. But he reminds us in verse 10. Listen, if the iron is blunt and one doesn't sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Wisdom helps one to succeed. He's like, work smarter, not harder. Like, sharpen the axe. You feel like you've got to get the wood taken care of? Take the time to keep your axe sharp. Right? Work smarter, not just harder. 
So we have that quick aside here, and we go back to foolishness. So pick up in verse 16. Woe to you, O land, where your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, where your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts don't curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. He, he compares in, in beginning of verse 16 a couple different leaders. He says, listen, if you're in a land where your king is a child, and he's not saying like literally like an eight-year-old, he's saying is immature, is not, not an adult, not, is, is a fool, is immature, um, it's not good for you, right? Woe to you, O land, where your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. He's saying, listen, when you have a leader who's a fool, they don't know when to feast. You don't feast in the morning. You haven't done anything. Right? They're feasting at the, the wrong time. They're feasting for drunkenness. Right? Not for, for energy and for strength. It's like it's, it's bad. And he gives us an example of this if we go back to verse 5. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. As it were an error proceeding from the ruler. So we're back to leadership. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in low places. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. What he, he's basically describing here is a kingdom turned upside down. He's like, he's like the wrong people have been put in the wrong positions. And so we have fools in leadership. And he's like, they don't know where to place people. And so they're putting people in the wrong position. When he says here, the rich, he's not talking about a social class. He's talking about those who have like worked and through their character and their effort and their hard work in time have become high character, high functioning, wise people, right? And so he says, there was an heir proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in the high places, right? That he's put fools in charge and the rich sit in low places. He's like, it should be flip-flopped. Like the fools shouldn't have authority. The fools shouldn't have control. Those who have worked and obtained and done right over the long term, they should be the ones ruling and leading, he said, and so we've seen slaves on horses. Again, we're not, we're not talking um, American slavery here. We're talking about prisoners of war. He's like, you don't put prisoners of war in our own prisoners who have, have turned against our government and put them on the horses and, and let them lead things and put them in charge while the princes are walking on the ground like slaves. He says, if you have a fool in power, the whole system gets turned upside down and it gets broken And we're all going to be affected by that. And so we go back now to our other scene. Verse 18. Through sloth, through sloth, the roof sinks in. So you would think, man, he's just talking about someone not taking care of their house. And having an issue and damage. Yeah. What he's actually talking about is the political system. And he's like, when you have a fool in the top who begins to put fools amongst the leaders and everything begins to be turned on its head eventually it rots and it cracks and it shows just like if you don't take care of your home things happen right you have to you have to do maintenance you have to do upkeep 
He's like, we have to do that in the circles and influence of our life or things will go wrong and break. The wrong people in the wrong positions has tremendous effect and it trickles down to all of us. The reminder for us this morning is this, is wherever you lead, wherever you have influence, like healthy leadership there also trickles down. And so whether it's you're coaching a kid's sports team, or you're in charge of some people at work, or in your own family, right? As you do those things in a God-honoring way with wisdom, imaging Jesus in those places, it trickles down and it has a positive effect. Because as bad leadership brings about the collapse, good leadership brings about a sturdying, buffeting effect. Here's the deal. If you do that, you're going to be taken for granted. Good leaders are taken for granted. Right? We all know bad leaders and we're frustrated. We want someone different in their place. But as soon as people have a good leader, they're like, oh, it should always be this way. And you begin to take it for granted, not knowing the benefit that you're receiving from them. I'll give you maybe an illustration of this. Um, I would say probably most of my uh, growing up years, my teenage years, I was not knowingly taking my parents for granted. But until I was an adult, I realized that I, I probably was. I didn't realize the, the benefit I had received in simply growing up in a stable home that was safe, that was secure, that was allowed me to, to figure things out and allowed me to have a good education and, and just quite frankly kept me from trauma. And so then as an adult, I'm like, I'm, I've got some steps on some of my peers, not in that I'm better, not that I'm a superior, but like there's just some baggage I don't have to deal with. I didn't walk around as a 14-year-old going, Mom, Dad, thank you for not screwing me up. Right? Like that, you're, you're not thinking that. You're just taking it for granted. We can do that in healthy churches. We can do that in healthy schools. We can do that on healthy teams and healthy families. In anything where there's a leader that's healthy and strong, we can take that for granted. Now, as soon as we have a bad one, right, we're like the, we're like the city that's being run over by the king looking for wisdom to get us out of that situation, chapter 9. And then as soon as a leader does, we're like, oh, forget, forget it, we're good now. Right? We, that's, that we live that out. And so I want to encourage you that if you're coaching a, a team at Optimus, if you're at work, if you're a teacher, you were able in those places to set a table for success by being godly. Right, by, by watching your words, by, by having integrity, by being honest, by being fair, you are setting things up for people to flourish. And ultimately, that's what creation, we were meant to do in creation, we were meant to flourish. And so in a home where you're succeeding as a husband is if your wife is flourishing under your leadership, where your kids are flourishing under your leadership. In a classroom as a teacher, are your students flourishing because you're their teacher? Right? Are your employees flourishing because, right? And it doesn't, listen, your students aren't going to understand all that you're doing on behalf of them. Your employees aren't going to understand all that you're doing. Your kids aren't going to, but are you able to withstand, right, and buttress things to allow those that are being served by you to flourish and to grow and to be healthy? Because woe to you 
when your princes feast in the morning. Right? For drunkenness and through sloth, the roof will sink in. Listen, it is far easier to see foolishness in others, right? Like right now, you've got names running through your head. You've probably got a list going. I got fools in my family. I got fools at work. I got fools at school, right? I got fools on my block, right? And you're, like, you're just like running through going, fool, 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 right? Like just a checklist, right? You're thinking of the government and you're going, I got a long list there, right? Like, right? like it is easy to see foolishness around you, right? Super easy. But when we turn that lens inward, it's really hard to see it in ourselves. It's, it's kind of what makes a fool a fool, right? Is that they don't think they're a fool. And so would we not be so arrogant this morning to believe that we don't have some foolishness in our own hearts, in our own lives? That we would ask the question, which path am I on? Because Psalm 14.1 will tell us this, that a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so what sets us on the path of foolishness is not submitting to God. Is believing that we are in control, that we are sovereign, that we're able to do it, and we don't need Him. It can also sink in, not that you would say this morning there is no God, but that you just believe that the God thing happens here on Sunday, and then the rest of your life you'll figure it out. That you don't believe that there's impact in your marriage, and in your family, and in your child rearing, and in your work, and in your money spending, and in your voting, and in your neighborhood interactions. Right, like that there's wisdom to be had from King Jesus in every arena of life. Because a wise person, a wise person this morning will recognize they were once a fool. That none of us have escaped being a fool at some point in our life. Listen to what Paul will write to Titus. This is Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, all of us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, Jesus saves fools. Of whom we all once were. Well, it's good news this morning. It's not because you were wise that you're saved. It's in your foolishness the Lord saw you and had pity, right? And had love and said, no longer a fool, but you will be mine. And I'm going to open your eyes to the foolishness of the world and your own foolishness and the impact that it's having on others and on yourself. Because some of you this morning, you have regret because of the foolish things that you've done. And God is saying, I'm going to rescue you from that by my merit, not because of yours, to rescue you and to make you mine. So Proverbs 9 will tell us this, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's, it's seeing God rightly and it's understanding that he is sovereign, that he is God, that he is in control. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Paul will write in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 that Jesus just is our wisdom. He's the embodiment of wisdom. And so it's in him that we are no longer fools. So we walk in relationship with him. We follow him. And in that we begin to walk wisely, which is skillful living in a fractured and broken world.
into navigating the situations and the relationships and the circumstances of this life with King Jesus. Knowing that he is our wisdom, it's not an IQ question. It is a spirit-led life. In secular ways, right? In work. You look at verse 4. The anger of the ruler, right? If the anger of the boss, however you want to feel that, rises against you, don't leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. He's giving some practical advice here. He's like, hey, if the boss is really upset with you, don't walk away. Everything in you is going to stream, walk away. He's like, if you walk away, it just stirs and he starts to stew and he starts to get really upset and really mad. It's like, stay and be calm. Don't add to it. And see if it doesn't like begin to breathe some life into it. Think about it this way. How often have you been, had a, a wrong committed against you? By someone you love, right? By someone you respect, someone you care about. But as you are removed from them for a moment, it can begin to stir in you like, oh yeah, oh, they're also this, and they're this, and they're this, and you can start to build a case against them. And then you walk in the room and you see them, you're like, oh, and I was really, I like you. Right, like just their mere presence reminds you, I'm not as mad as I thought I was. Like it was in the absence that anger was boiling in me. But when I saw you, I'm reminded, yeah, we have an issue to deal with. But you're not that bad. It's like, stay. So he's giving some just practical advice. He's like, listen, this affects all of life and how we walk wisely in it. Proverbs 9 will also tell us it's not just the beginning, the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. But it says this, that the wise appreciate correction. The wise can see, they know they don't have everything figured out. And that they need correction, and so they appreciate it. doesn't mean they always want it, but they can see it and realize they want to be wise and to honor Jesus, where the fool shuns it. So here's where we're going to end this morning. We want to follow after King Jesus. Jesus saw people. Right? He saw them. He didn't run past them. And he saw their needs and their hurts. And he met those needs. And then he spoke truth into situations. Besides just meeting the needs. We think about Jesus in in John 4 with the woman at the well. right? He saw her and he knew her sin and her issue. And he spoke to it. Because he was meeting a real need that she had of, of belonging. And he gave her truth. And he was looking beyond just fixing it for today but for the long haul. right? He was walking wisely in that situation. That Jesus is humble. Think of John 13 where he washes the disciples' feet. He was the leader. And yet he's humbly caring for them. We think in Mark 10 where it says that Jesus tells us. He said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. That a leader hum- like humbly serves. And takes care of others. That as we begin to look at the life of Jesus. We begin to see that it goes really kind of opposite with the way we view leaders in this life, in this world, who look to bring about a following and look to hold on to power and look to, to, to be served and not to serve. That if we're going to walk through this life wisely, we're going to look like Jesus. And so it means we're going to be humble servants who see people and care for people and speak truth in situations. 
So this morning, would you consider your life? And ask the question, am I a fool? Like, do I know Jesus? Or maybe you would say, I do, but I've been a fool in a certain area of my life. And would you receive this morning grace and mercy and wisdom and salvation from Jesus that he's already stirring in your heart? And some might even this morning, I say this with all humility, maybe there's a foolish thought already happening in your heart. We're like, listen, I've done this without Jesus and my life's pretty stinking good. Haven't had any train wrecks. Things are pretty good. And I don't know that I need Jesus for it. And Jesus would say, what does it gain a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That you can navigate this life and still lose. And in that, we are saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For this life and the next. Let's pray. Father, would we be honest enough this morning to examine our thoughts and our hearts, our minds and our intentions, and just humbly submit and ask the question of you, am I a fool? God, would you would your spirit and your word would it shine a light? And reveal to us areas where we are foolish. Would it, would it potentially reveal to us that we are currently just a fool? And yet, that we would hear good news in that. That you have come to save fools. Lord, that none of us can, 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 can claim to have never been one. So Father, we want to live skillfully. Um, not to beat our chest or to win at life, but because it honors you as we image you. God, would we deny ourselves, Lord, and live a life that would, would show that we are trusting you, even if it goes against the wisdom of the world, because we have a wisdom from heaven. So, Father, we confess our foolishness, and we ask for wisdom, and Lord, would we realize that it's, it's you. You're our wisdom. We want you. We need you. So would you move and work and encourage and heal and convict and save and give wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.